Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Good evening, everyone. Well, it's great to be with all of you, and a big thank you to Father Joe, the pastor's in the corner over here, and to Father Pat for those lavish words. Uh, It's nice to have a friend who thinks so highly of you. Uh, All of you should get one like that. It's a nice thing. It really is. (laughs) So I have been to Sacred Heart several times. Uh, I did my internship at the southern part of the diocese in Worcester, and I came here a few times to receive the sacrament of confession. Always a nice treat, you know. Uh, And then as a priest, I have done a wedding here. I've also done a baptism here. But to the city of Wadsworth, I was only here one time, to the city. It was the fall of 1997. I was a freshman in high school. I had just gotten out of acting school the summer before, and a girl named Katie Sandals invited me to homecoming. I thought with her. To my surprise, it was to her friend. <laughs> she already had the date. <laughs> So, as a 14-year-old boy does, I get all ready, and I came here, and little did I know that Katie Sandals and the name Sandals had a little weight in the high school because her brother was the starting quarterback of the football team here in Wadsworth. Uh, So, needless to say, it was quite an event, uh, overwhelming. I haven't talked to her since, uh, but not because of my dancing skills, I assure you. But that was my experience in Wadsworth. It was a homecoming dance, fall of 1997. If any of you know Katie Sandals and uh, she's still living in Wadsworth, invite her tomorrow night. I'd like to talk to her. Okay. <laughs> that was the whole reason I said yes to this mission, to possibly see her. <laughs> That's how I pick which parishes I go to. So there's something unresolved in my story I might be able to work out. There I am, 14-year-old me. What does every 14-year-old at homecoming desire? to be as close to beauty as possible. That's why we love when girls get dressed up. We want to be near beauty. We have a desire for love. Right about that time, romance is really kicking in. Love songs make sense all of a sudden. If you ever remember the movie Sandlot, there was a lifeguard named Wendy Peppercorn, and Squince Paladora was in love with her. It was because beauty was calling His heart was awakened, and he knew he wanted to love and be loved. Everyone here has this experience at some point. My question to you is, what does that have to do with Jesus? What is that wanting to be near a beautiful girl in a great dress with her hair and everything? Or what is the idea of wanting to be seen, if you're a woman, to be seen as beautiful and to fall in love where in the summertime you roll down your windows and you blast love songs? What does those moments have to do with Jesus? You know what most of us do? We kick into morals right here. Well, it has to do with chastity, Father, and so keep making sure everything is rightly ordered because you got to blow the whistle really quickly if it gets too hot. All right. Yeah, obviously, being immoral is not a good option in life, doesn't make Jesus very well pleased, doesn't lead us to happiness. Of course, morals are a part of it. But is that really the good news of Jesus Christ? 
He came all the way from perfection with the angels to come down to say, listen, you guys aren't doing it right. Let me help you become more moral. Was that it? Is that the whole thing? Here's what oftentimes happens is we try to live two lives. We have these beautiful experiences of love, beauty, desire. That's over here. And then we got Jesus over here. The church, the teachings, the morals. And then we just kind of live two lives. Right? As if there's two of us. We go back and forth. And in the theological tradition, we have a fancy term for this. It's called dualism. Right? It's as if there's two of us. But the truth is, there's only one of you. There's only one of me. And so what do these have to do with each other? Well, in the beginning of the Gospel of John, the first thing Jesus says to all of humanity is a question. First words out of Jesus' mouth are a question. Here's a couple different translations. What are you looking for? Here's another translation. What are you seeking? What do you desire? See, Jesus knows, Jesus in his mind presupposes that you and I, right, are like Bruce Springsteen. Everybody's got a hungry heart. But so often, you and I pretend like we don't when we're in front of Jesus. Lord, whatever you want, I'll be happy. And if you are at the heights of sanctity where you know the full depth of what that kind of prayer means, then you keep praying it. Way to go. But I have a hunch most of us just say that because we feel like that nun from grade school or maybe a parent or grandparent is listening in and they're going to yell at us if we don't say the prayers right. But once again, I got Katie Sandals over here and I got Jesus over here. And guess what? In real life, you got to make a choice fast. <laughs> I've been really blessed in my priesthood. A man died in October, I believe, of 2014. I'd only been ordained six months at the time. And I happened to, before I was going to bed, read a blog. This famous guy, Monsignor Albacete, died. Didn't think much of it, but I read a little bit of quotes from him. This is a beautiful picture of him right now. Don't go to the quote yet. Okay, good. Yeah, nicely done. Friends, great. Okay, so... He was a chubby man. <laughs> he was a chain-smoking man. Before he was a priest, he was a physicist. And he was one of John Paul II's advisors and closest friends. I stayed up almost all night reading stories and quotes about this man. He is hysterical. He loves smoking in the theological building where he's a professor at, where it said, do not smoke. <laughs> one day... He was asked to come and consult with John Paul II. It was him and a very formal priest to give John Paul II some theological advice. The formal priest got there early in a cassock, perfect cufflinks, hair perfectly gelled, a leather dossier, sits down, tells John Paul II, Holy Father, I couldn't sleep well last night. To meet the successor of St. Peter is quite an honor. This is very humbling and here's my theological ideas submitted to you. Perfectly typed out sheet of paper. John Paul II, graciously, thank you for serving the church. I like the positions you've made. Thank you. He looked at Monsignor Lorenzo Albacete. And Monsignor Albacete said, Holy Father, I slept great. 
He said, and I'm sorry for being late, but you can tell with the powdered sugar on me, I had to go back to get a second donut before I came to the Vatican. And he says, and since you never know when the second coming's happening, I don't like to waste time. So I did, I, and while I was in the cafe, I took a napkin and wrote my ideas down. Here they are. He handed the Holy Father a napkin with his scribbled ideas. The Pope went with Monsignor Albacete's ideas. It's to say that this man was free. He didn't have to play a game. He also wasn't doing that to be goofy. He was just himself. Because he knew I'm loved. He knew every part of me, my dreams, my desires, my failures, my weaknesses, it's all taken up in Jesus. And so he wasn't worried. He didn't live with the fear, will you like me? Am I enough? He was set free. And so to Jesus' question, what are you looking for? He took a whole retreat for priests. And this was the main point of his retreat. This quote. What are you seeking? This seems to be an important question because the rest of the gospel is going to be an interplay between the answer, between this question and Christ. Christ is identifying himself as that which fulfills those desires. But if we are not familiar with those desires or haven't really thought it through, then we cannot recognize the value of whatever it is Jesus offers to us. You ever gone to someone's house and you didn't know they were going to serve you dinner? So you already ate? And they're like, hey, I made this pasta and a fish, and we're really excited to have you. You're like, ha. Oh. <laughs> You're like, how do I get out of this? <laughs> That's us a lot when we go to pray. That's us a lot when we come to Mass. We're so full of Twix and Kit Kat bars, the easy foods in the world to fulfill those hungers, that when we come to Mass, the filet mignon of the Eucharist, we're like, ugh. I'm already full. <laughs> I've already numbed out my hunger. And now I don't know what you're really offering. This would be me pointing a finger condemning all of you if it wasn't for the fact that every single one of us does it, priests included. We cannot know the value of what Jesus offers if we haven't begun to discover deep within us are these longings these hopes, these needs, these places in us that really do need another. And so what we do is we begin to get familiar with them. This is the Christian journey. Becoming aware of this journey is what makes you human. Taking seriously your interior life, what animates you, what hurts you, what haunts you, what captivates you, this is what makes you particularly come alive. And Jesus is the answer to every part of that. But so often we aren't even aware of it. And so Jesus says, I have all sorts of things, food for you. And we go, oh, I'm already full. So he is the answer to Katie Sandals. Get her here, I'm telling you, okay? So, okay. <laughs> 
So it's not just me or you that may be like, oh, I don't know if I've actually met this Jesus. I don't know if I actually bring my heart to him. I said in the homily, but Mother Teresa is also worried about this. Father Patrick, the quote. I worry some of you still have not really met Jesus one to one. We may spend time in the chapel, but have you seen how he looks at you with love? Beep. Next quote. Do you really know the living Jesus? Not from books, but from being with him. I just want you to take a second and notice your interior response to this. If there's a scurrying, it's okay. It's okay. If there's a, maybe a little anger, like, well, of course I, I do all the prayers. What more? I've been doing everything right. I feel like the older son in the prodigal son story. I'm doing everything right, yet that guy comes back and he gets the fattened calf. That's okay. You can be there. Jesus can get you. You don't need to change. But you just need to let yourself feel what you're feeling. Maybe some of you are saying, huh, so I wasn't crazy to think there needs to be more to faith than just these external practices? Mother Teresa said this to all the mother superiors in her order. They gathered in the early 90s and she couldn't be there in Rome, but she wrote a letter to them because she was sick. And it was the, it's called the Veronasi letter. She wrote to them, these are the mother superiors in her order where they live the most poor life. They wake up at every morning, excuse me, I believe at 5 a.m. and do a holy hour, mass every day, serve the poorest of the poor, do evening e examination of conscience, go on retreats. They're doing everything we would say, wow. Look at how holy they are. Look at these nuns. And she's in charge of them all and says, I'm worried some of you don't know Jesus. And you and I thought we were cool for going to a parish mission tonight. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> <clears throat> Why don't we know Jesus? Because in order to get in touch with the living Jesus, one thing is required on our part. And it's the thing you and I avoid like crazy. Vulnerability. By the way, if any husbands or men in here are like, oh, if my wife just thinks she's right now all these years. <laughs> it's not exactly the same when you're vulnerable with God, okay? But vulnerability is the entryway. Father, okay, I'll give you tonight. You can get through the whole heart talk thing, whatever. I'm still going to be a Christian the way I've been doing it. Pope Benedict quote, please. Being a Christian is not the result of an ethical choice or, the loft, or a lofty idea, but the encounter with an event, a person. What makes you and I a Christian is not that we've chosen to be chaste, not lie, 
not be envious and not gossip. That doesn't make you a Christian. Those are things Christians do, but it doesn't make you a Christian. Lofty ideas, right? Lent's a great idea for this. Well, I'm fasting on Wednesdays and Fridays. I'm taking cold showers. I'm going to decide to pray 30 minutes every morning, wake up in the middle of the night, and intercede for Ukraine. First off, awesome. Second, that doesn't make you a Christian. Those aren't, this, those aren't what make us Christian. What makes us Christian is an encounter with Jesus Christ. Think about all the gospel passages. The woman caught in adultery. It says she's caught in the very act of adultery. Not the time you want to meet Jesus, by the way. So she's caught in the very act of adultery, brought in front of him, and she meets him. She now is a Christian. She has met the Christ. Think about Peter, right? He's fishing. He's just doing his job. Going to work, working hard, doing his thing, mending the nets, and all of a sudden a guy breaks into his life. A presence enters. A way of seeing him dawns on him, and it says, come and follow me. He encountered Jesus. That made him a Christian. His life was still a mess. We see the rest of the gospel of him being, I'm half Jewish, if you remember, so the word is a schmuck. All right? the ha- he spends the rest of the gospel messing things up like crazy. He's talking when he shouldn't. He's arrogant when he shouldn't be. He's telling Jesus how to live his life. He's not ethical yet. He doesn't have his life in order, but he's a Christian. Why? Because he met Jesus. He's encountered Jesus. Well, one of my favorite scripture passages, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is the guy who's really short. He's a tax collector in town. And because he's a tax collector, everyone knows, means he's been stealing money off the top. And everyone in the town knows it, but they can't do anything about it. He's that guy in town. Your wife, your grandma, your mom, she's losing her house because Zacchaeus wanted a Porsche. Okay? That type of thing. And all of a sudden... He wants to see Jesus because he heard that this Jesus doesn't condemn sinners but actually has meals with them. He he hears that Jesus actually is welcoming to broken humanity, not standoffish. And so he can't see around the crowd. He climbs up a tree and Jesus sees him in the tree. And this is powerful because Zacchaeus was trying to see Jesus He never imagined he'd be seen by Jesus. Being seen by Jesus, the first words of Jesus in Zacchaeus' life are, Zacchaeus, come down here quickly, for tonight I must spend the night with you. I need to dine with you. I.e., the God of the universe looks at him and says, I want to spend time with you. Zacchaeus encountered a person who loved him this man who's linked with the mystery known as God, and the first thing Zacchaeus does in response to this encounter, what is generated in him? I will pay back all the money, Lord, and everything else I will give to the poor. His life became ethical as a result of the encounter. His ethics didn't generate the encounter. He was surprisingly encountered by Jesus, and this was the result. So here's my question for you. Like, where do we encounter Jesus? 
This is kind of a group participation at this point, right? Keeps you awake, right? things like that. There's a time zone change or a time change. Where do we encounter Jesus? Just shout it out. Prayer, good. Other people, good. What else? Well, I heard like, that was my fault because I asked everyone to do it at once. All right, I should be able to translate this by now. Did I hear? Eucharist, war zone. Okay, good. Hopefully people are encountering him there. Eucharist, sacraments. What else? I'm going to point over here to this little thing. What happens here? The word, scripture. Great. Okay, good. So yeah, so we have heard most of our lives in people, great, in scripture, and in sacraments. Did you know in human history we have never celebrated more sacraments, the scripture has not been more available, more people have done more catechetical programs at parishes, online, than ever before? The 20th century had more reading of scripture and celebration of sacraments, especially in this country, than ever before, and we have less and less people knowing Jesus. Right? Because when we have a problem, what do we do as a church? Well, let's get together and get a mission statement. And then the second thing, let's get a, let's get a program that can meet the need. And guess what? When that program's done, do you know what all of us say? What's the next program? And then we just program after program after program. None of those are wrong, but all of those are means to an end. We're missing something in the church in America. And the catechism of the Catholic Church tells us that what we're missing is the heart. This is straight out of the catechism, the official teaching. The heart is the dwelling place where I am, where I live. The heart is our hidden center, beyond the grasp of our reason and of others. Only the Spirit of God can fathom the human heart and know it fully. The heart is the place of encounter, because as image of God, we live in relation. The heart is the place of encounter. See, my heart was wrapped up in Katie Sandals. We're just going to keep going there, for example. All right. It's Wadsworth. She's from Wadsworth. Okay, great. So when I went to church, I never knew I could bring everything going on in my heart to Jesus. I didn't know that he was asking me, what are you seeking? What is awakened in you? What do you really want? I didn't know my longings and attraction to beauty, my need and desire to love and be loved had anything to do with Jesus. So what I did is that stayed over here, and when I went to Jesus, it was kind of mechanistic. I did all the external things I'm supposed to, but I didn't have the life-changing encounter of Zacchaeus or Simon Peter or the woman caught in adultery or the blind man or the deaf man or the dead man. I had none of those. Why? Because the place of encounter isn't my exteriority, my ideas, my plans, all the ways I look impressive. The encounter is in the heart. The very place you and I know is full of mess. Why do we ignore our hearts? It's really so simple. Because that's where we get hurt. 
When you ask someone to a dance and they say no, where it hurts is not your big toe. It's your heart. When you go to the doctors, you get some tests, and they call you the next day and say, we need to come in and talk. What you're feeling, that's your heart. That's not your elbow. When you feel the shame and regret of sin, the bite of that is in your heart, not your ear. And see, all of this is such a painful area, we've never been taught well how to navigate, how to experience it. So what do we do? We just toss it to the side, and then we think, if I do enough good things externally, maybe I'll be seen as good. If I do all the right things, maybe then someone will think, wow, they're lovable, and then that would make me lovable. However, God already made you wonderful. He doesn't make junk. I remember in the seminary, this is water, in case you're wondering. <laughs> it's being live-streamed. I don't need someone making some accusations. <laughs> that guy seems really happy. What's in that cup? Okay. When I was in the seminary, these were my prayers. Lord, help the church make more disciples. Lord, help all the poor. Jesus, help my mom or dad, whatever's going on in their lives. Good prayers. Earnest. I meant them. But behind all of it was a heart that was really hurting. A heart that was struggling with loneliness and fear. A heart that had so much shame and pain and suffering, rejection and abandonment and confusion and powerlessness. I didn't know what to do with any of this. And so I could just imagine Jesus hearing me say, Lord, make the church effective in making disciples. And he's like, would you like to talk about the bullet holes in your heart? No, no, those are fine. <laughs> or what do we actually say? Don't worry about me, I'm fine. How many times have you said I'm fine when that's the exact opposite of how you are? Now, it doesn't mean you start stopping people at grocery stores when they're like, how are you? I'm like, oh, thank God you asked. <laughs> Let them shop. <laughs> but it does mean when you make the sign of the cross to start praying, if your first word needs to be ouch as your opening prayer, let it be that. Why? Because there's no other chance to encounter Jesus. Everything else is us trying to distract, posture, escape, run away from this place in us that is longing and hungering and seeking and thirsting and needing time, love, and tenderness. To be seen, known, and loved. It matters. Ah, oh, it was no big deal. If you're feeling it a day later, it's a big deal to you, which means it's a big deal to God. And if it's something from 30 years ago, that wound has gotten gangrene and pus-filled and it needs all the more attention, not dismissal and saying, oh, I gotta grow up, I can't just think about childhood things all the time. Well, there's a reason it hasn't gone away. Because your heart is always good. It's trying to tell you something. It's trying to say, would you please listen? Would you bring this to Jesus so he can hold us there? Would you bring this to the Father who's nothing but compassion? 
Would you let your favorite saint encourage you? But if it hasn't gone away, it's because there's something broken. (laughs) And our ankles hurt because they're broken. (laughs) It's the way it tells you, pay attention. Give me time. Pain in the body is a way of saying, hey, hey, this isn't working right. Fear, hurt, unresolved anger, anxiety, sadness. All of these are the heart saying, hey, hey, here I am. Please, please, please give me time. I worked with a guy one time and he came to see me and we were talking about all sorts of things and I just got the sense to ask him the question. I said, so if Jesus walked in the room and asked you how you doing, what would you say? He said, oh, I'd tell him uh, doing pretty good and thank you for all the blessings in my life and things are okay. I'm like, wow, well, that's great. Glad you're thanking him. You knew that answer really quickly. I said, it's really good. But what if Jesus is like, great, but I know you. How are you doing? I said, what would you say then? And he was a little annoyed with me. As most people are when they come to see me one-on-one. <laughs> and he goes, uh... I said, this isn't a theology test. There's no right or wrong. Just Jesus knows you. He says, how are you doing, really? He said, well, I, I would say that, you know, I'm... My wife and I got in a fight yesterday, and uh, you know, work's, work's been hard. I said, that's beautiful. That's great sharing, because that's real. You're carrying that in, with you, and he wants to hear it. I said, what if Jesus looked back at you and said, wow, I love you. How are you doing? This man started getting tears in his eyes. And he said, I'm scared that I'm a failure that I have no idea what I'm doing. If I'm doing something right, wrong, I have no idea. That was prayer. And so we just prayed together, and he was able to experience peace like he had not experienced in a long time. Why? Because he brought his heart to the Lord. Not a walled-off, buffed-up, beautiful version of himself, but just vulnerability. And notice, in our hearts are two things, right? He had this fear, but when I was 14 with Katie Sandals, that's a beautiful desire. It's wonderful. But both are the heart. Both are the ways to encounter Jesus. So I want to stop with you right now and I know when I'm in large group settings, I'm not always comfortable doing it, so you don't have to close your eyes, but I'd like to invite you all to close your eyes, and I'd like to guide you through a little prayer experience. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Take a minute and just feel, feel the room so you're not distracted too much. You kind of know what's going on in this church tonight. I want you to imagine Jesus walks into the church and you see him walking in and here's a man who is so free because he knows he's loved by the Father. He knows he's a gift. 
And as he's walking in, you just can, you're just drawn to him. His masculinity is strong, yet at peace. There's no violence coming from him, but there is a strength. And as he comes into the church, he, you can tell he gives me a head nod because I'm his priest, so that was nice of him. But he looks and you realize he's looking at you. And these eyes are not moving away because he's not afraid of intimacy. He doesn't get nervous by these personal encounters. He is just gazing upon you. And you see him walking to your pew. And he starts stepping over people. Excuse me. I'm sorry. Excuse me. I must get to this one. Excuse me. And he sits right next to you. You can feel his body. This peace, this joy, this strength, this tender, welcoming heart. And he looks at you and he says, how are you doing? Let that question illuminate and elicit and just from your own heart share with him. Doesn't need to be beautiful. We're not writing it down. It's just between you and your God. He nods his head with a warm smile because he enjoys your heart. He has time for you. He's not going anywhere else. You're it. You're his goal. And he says, all right, great. And he says to you again, really, how are you doing? Let that question go right to a place in you. And you don't have to understand, you don't have to figure out, but just share with him what's coming up for you. Especially any emotions that are attached to this. Nervousness, excitement, desire, frustration, whatever it may be, he's God, he's not worried, he's with you. And now this third time, he changes a little bit and he looks right at you in your eyes again. He leans in. His beard is oddly close. And he just says, do you want to tell me about that thing tonight? Whatever that thing is for you, I just invite you to share it with him and be aware of how he seems. Maybe that thing is from 50 years ago. Maybe that thing is about tonight. Maybe that thing is about just your life in general, how it's ended up and how you feel about that. Maybe there's places in you that think, I don't think I'm allowed to tell you this, Jesus, or talk to you this way. Let me worry about that responsibility. You just give it to him.
And if you can, be aware of how he seems towards you. A God who leaves the angels so that you'd never be alone. A God who promises compassion, encouragement, and unwavering love. Notice how he seems. And for those of you where nothing may be happening but you're trying, let Jesus know how you feel about nothing happening. Don't edit. Vulnerability, the heart, is the encounter. And now if that vulnerable place in your heart can hear him say these words, I'd like to be bold enough to say, Jesus says to you, I believe in you. I'm not going anywhere. You are mine and I am yours. And I am deeper than the wounds I am bigger than the fear. I am kinder than the nerves. And I am sweeter than all delight. Amen. For those of you where something beautiful happened, that's awesome. That's why we love God so much. For those of you where you felt like nothing happened, that was eight years of my prayer in the seminary. I get it. It's maddening. It's embarrassing. But when I asked you to share with Jesus how the nothing felt, it's so important to say, discouraging, angry. And this is why I get mad at you, because you never showed up. That anger's in you already. It's important to give it to him so he can pour into you his compassionate response. But so often we keep our hearts walled off. We will only be vulnerable to an extent and we edit what we think we're allowed to share with him. If you read the Bible, people are constantly getting angry at God. He doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> He's still there. Did you know that God was the one who made sex? I know that might have felt like him from left field, but <laughs> I'm not unaware how I sound. I <laughs> Great, it's live stream too. Great, that's going to be clipped out and put on YouTube. But do you know what I hear a lot? 
Father, I had, I had, some, I had some bad thoughts. And so I started saying things like, like killing animals. And they're like, no, not killing animals. I said, oh, they're like, you know, sexual thoughts. I said, have you told Jesus about your sexual thoughts? Oh. <laughs> Do you ever ask why not? His first commandment was be fruitful and multiply. That doesn't mean have apple orchards and do math. <laughs> I would love to take credit for that, but I've heard it somewhere else. <laughs> I had to be honest. I felt myself being like, yes, and it's not me. It wasn't me. Okay. That was his first commandment. All throughout the Old Testament, he uses spousal language. The Song of Songs are about intimacy between two lovers. God puts on flesh as a man and says, this is my body. This is not to make God sexual, but it is to say that God is not afraid. And that's a place in our lives and our stories that we lock away so often. What was happening with 14-year-old Ryan Mann with Katie Sandals? I wasn't like, oh, she's so good at math. I hope she brings an abacus to homecoming. <laughs> no, I was attracted to her. That's a huge part of our lives. And yet if we don't allow it, Jesus to speak into it, we won't find fulfillment. All this to say, if the heart is in place of encounter, and we've already predetermined what parts of our hearts are allowed to be shared with Jesus and what aren't, or what parts of our lives he's going to speak into and what he's not. It's like he's doing sign language and we don't know what he's saying. So, well, I don't know that. So it's like, well, we can learn. But we have to bring our whole humanity to him. Just recently I was talking to a guy, and just a good guy. He grew up in a really hard home, a lot of abandonment and just early exposure to things he should have never seen as a kid and just all the confusion and pain that goes with that. A dad that he felt he really couldn't like share with and connect with and a mom who he was so nervous about that he always just tried to be good for her. And then he got into more bad stuff but always kept it hidden, but he was totally functional. You would have never known. Right? Middle school, high school, gets advanced degrees in college, doing really well. But when like, I ask him, what were you seeking? What were you looking for as a kid? He has the wall that a lot of us do where he's like, oh, I don't know, like, you know my parents did a good job in this and that. And I said, listen, barring a few extreme examples, everyone's parents did the best they could. They did the very best they could. There are moments, though, where the best they could really wasn't enough. And it doesn't mean they're bad. It just means they're limited. And they're broken like all of us are. But as a kid, that really hurts. You, me, and this guy. And so he was able to say, I just wanted my dad once to know that I was struggling. But see, he had blamed himself. because He said, but I never told him, you know? And I'm like, well, as a kid, you shouldn't have to. You're supposed to be seen. So I met with him a couple months later, 
And I said, how's this month been going for you? And he said, I'm really struggling. I'm driving in the car with a good friend of mine. He goes, and I almost just looked at her and said, do you think I'm good? Do you hear the cry? Like that question comes from a very young place. That's a five-year-old who wants dad to pick him up and wrestle with him. Or that's a little girl who wants to know that she's the princess. But here this guy is, fully grown, functional job, everything doing well. He's riding with a friend on the weekend and he's starting to work with his heart and what's coming out of his heart are these cries and longings and fears and pain. He's like, do you think I'm good? I said, well, did you like, share that with Jesus at all in prayer? Have you taken that place to the, to the Eucharist? Have you, and he's like, Father, it happened yesterday. I haven't had a chance. I said, well, my fault. Okay. <laughs> but it's that depth of vulnerability that gets us there. He will have a powerful healing moment with Jesus when he feels that through Jesus, the Father is actually affirming him and saying, Behold, it is very good. You are my beloved one. I am with you always. I will never abandon you. You are mine. Those words need to enter human hearts that need to hear them. But if we don't even know we need to hear them, they fall on deaf ears. Lord, I need you, oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. Every hour. I did my morning prayer and got to work. What? (laughs) Jesus isn't a text message. Every hour I need to know I'm seen, known, and loved. Every hour I need to know someone believes in me to be able to love and make, my, make a gift of myself. These are deep places in all of us. And it's the reason why the church in America for, like, for so long felt like we haven't encountered Jesus. Because Pope Benedict told us the place of encounter is the heart. Mother Teresa said, I'm worried you don't know him. I didn't know that Katie Sandals and Jesus went together. Why? Because no one told us. We're not bad. No one told us. But once you hear it, now we're responsible. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> is Jesus safe enough to be vulnerable with? He is not safe. We'll put it this way. He is not tame, but he is very good. He will not hurt you, but he will help you grow. And sometimes... Little kids like their binkies. And when you finally take it away for the kid to grow up, they lose their mind. But they can't be a 20-year-old going off to college with a binky. (laughs) So sometimes the loving thing to do is to pull something away so that they learn to grow. He doesn't hurt us. The only things he does is to help you become more you to become more beautiful, more wonderful, more of a gift, more astonishingly wonderful. 
That's what he came to do. Jesus did not come into this world out of anger. He did not come out of this world as if to say, well, why aren't they doing it right? He knew that. (laughs) He came to this world to say, I know why you're struggling. Would you let me help you? Would you let me enter into those places and be with you? And he'll never force because he loves. So I've talked a lot about the struggles of our hearts, but it's also true that what gets us in touch with our hearts is beauty, like the Katie Sandals moments. And sometimes it's not religious or big moments. Sometimes, you know, you're watching a commercial, and as you're watching a commercial, you just start crying. You ever feel like an idiot? (laughs) Like I'm watching a commercial. I live with another priest, right? And I only have one TV. It's in the living room. I refuse to have one in my own room so that that way I try to have community at the end of the day. But I'll be honest, I'm kind of cranky when I'm tired, so it doesn't work for him. But anyways, (laughs) have a TV. And there's times where I'm watching a commercial and just like like belly sobbing, crying. And I'm like, oh, thank you, Jesus, that he has a meeting right now. Because if he saw me, he'd call the bishop, right? Can I get the next quote? Simone Weil, she was a philosopher and a budding mystic from French, from France, from French. I'm a public speaker. All right, she says this. There are only two things that pierce the human heart. One is beauty. The other is affliction. This piercing is like awakening. There's only two things that awaken your heart. Two things that get your heart's attention. One is beauty, the other is affliction. I just want you to feel in your heart, if you can, the beauty of this commercial that I'd like you to watch. We're going to get there in just a second. As we do that, I just want to give you permission for your heart to be moved. Wise men say Only fools rush in But I can't help Falling in love with you Oh,
save extra, get extra. It's a little heavy-handed for gum. <laughs> <laughs> I bought ten boxes of extra after that commercial. <laughs> What do marketing experts know that we have forgotten? That we have hearts that are moved and the movements in them matter. Please, tonight, listen to the song of your childhood that you used to crank up. The song you used to just blast. I remember I did this for a night, and I was like, just recently, a couple years ago, maybe over COVID time, I was listening. I was like, what was that song in middle school? It was all like angsty feeling. And I was like, oh, it was like, it was Everclear. They had this, this electric guitar, and it's like, Bennett, 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 Bennett. And that's how I felt about life. I was like, I'm going to get through life no matter what. <laughs> and it's like, come at me, world. I'm going to do this. It's like, I'm still dreaming of your ghost. And I was like, yeah. I listen to the thing now and I look back and I'm like, that's the song of someone who's lonely, in pain, and thinks they have to fight their way through life. Guess what? In middle school, I was lonely, in pain, and felt like I had to fight my way through life. That song captured a part of my heart that no prayer experience would have. Beauty, art, song, commercials, your favorite movies, all of these things are trying to speak to you. When our hearts are awakened, guess what happens? We're on the journey to Jesus. Can I have the Monsignor Albacete quote again, the second slide? Go three forward, there you go. Next one. All right. But if we are not familiar with those desires or haven't really thought it through, then we cannot recognize the value of whatever it is Jesus offers to us. If we don't take our hearts very seriously, that they really matter, that what speaks to you, what makes you come alive, what awakens your desires, what hurts you, what's disappointed you, if we don't really take that seriously, we will not ever discover the gift of Jesus because he is the fulfillment of that place within us. This is the part that's been missing. Imagine if you could live within your heart every day and then you prayed the rosary, then you prayed with scripture, then you received the Eucharist. How much more intimate, transformative, beautiful, life-giving these practices of our faith would be because they're doing what they're meant to do. Lead the heart to Jesus. This is why he gave them to us. In Isaiah 61.1, he says, I have come to bind up the brokenhearted. What bind up means is like when your arm's broken and you bind it up, so it can heal. He wants to scatter the broken parts of our hearts back together so it can heal. 
You and I were not created for here. We were created for the Garden of Eden. That's why this world hurts so bad. But Jesus entered the fallen world so that even now we could taste deeply the promise of the Father that I have not left you as orphans. I will bring you into my divine family through adoption so that you can have access to a compassion that heals and I will bring you slowly into the glory you seek, not just an earthly Eden, but a heavenly ecstasy. Your heart and mine are not infallible. It's not like simply because I'm, I'm mad at you, you did something wrong, and therefore my heart matters, you've got to fix yourself. It doesn't work that way. They're not infallible. They can be wrong. They can be, oh, I didn't quite understand that. Or when I went and talked to that person, I learned more facts and realized that's not what they meant. We all know that. But they are indispensable if we're going to be a Christian. Because Christianity is the result of an encounter. I want to tell a story and then end with a meditation. I worked with this woman for many years, and she gave me permission to share her story, but not her name. So I, I, I asked her for this permission, so in case you're wondering. She had been abused awfully when she was 10 years old and hit it because she thought it was her fault. In her middle school years, she began to act out drinking and using drugs, and her mom called her awful names because her mom didn't know why she was the bad one of the family because she never told her mom. Once again, she was 10. She grew up, gotten some terrible experiences, more drugs, more carousing, more drinking. In college, 19 years old, she gets abused again. She also starts hooking up with this gangbanger, violent guy. He goes off, gets arrested. She finds out she's pregnant. She gets an abortion. And it was at that point in her life when she started to wake up. The piercing, the affliction was so deep that she realized, what am I doing with my life? So, she took all of this and put it in a box in her heart, whoop, right on the shelf in the garage of her heart. And then went over here and became super active in her parish. She was doing all sorts of things. Now please be aware that if you have someone here who's volunteering a lot and doing awesome things, it doesn't mean they have this story. <laughs> okay, just please offer a little generosity here. Okay, thank you. So she's been this for decades, and um, she comes and meets with me because she says, hey, I heard you give a talk in the rosary one time, and I'd like you to help me learn how to pray the rosary a little bit better. So okay. And I said, well, let me ask you this. Like, where in your heart do you think you need Mary to hug you and kiss you? Boom. That box fell off the shelf and opened wide up. <laughs> All of it started coming out. So for years... We met and prayed and listened and talked and met and prayed and listened and talked. She went on retreats. She read books. She went to conferences. She was in it to win it. She was seeking healing. And the, one of the culminating healing moments after years of tilling the soil for healing, it wasn't just this magical moment, it was years of learning what we're going to learn tomorrow night, by the way, about how Jesus responds to us so that we can respond the same way. 
We were back in the place where she was first awfully abused and hurt. And I said, what did that girl desire? What was she seeking? And she said, and I quote, I wanted to be loved and understood and seen as beautiful. That her heart, after this terrible thing, had these desires. What was amazing is after years of sin and pain and awfulness, the Holy Spirit, which we heard in the Catechism, quote, only the Spirit can fathom the depths of the human heart. The Holy Spirit took her back there and she could still recognize the longings in her today. Decades, 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 decades later, she could still recognize those longings that she wanted to be seen as beautiful, loved and understood. And I said, would you ask Jesus to be with you there. And she began to meditate. Remember, years of working at this, right? Meditate and notice him and receive him. Those desires were being fulfilled through the Lord. And this memory became redeemed because she could no longer think about that terrible trauma without also seeing how the kind Jesus drew near and still honored her desires. It's no longer an isolated, lonely memory. It's a memory surrounded by pain, but at the center of the pain is this divine compassion. And so when she prays now, she ministers, she works, she labors, she does so with a whole new way of seeing people in the world. All because she took seriously the journey of her heart. And so tonight I'd like to end with a little meditation I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to be with us and then guide you through a little meditation. Holy Spirit, come upon us. Be the tender touch of God so that our hearts would be disarmed, that we'd be willing to enter in. We read in Psalm 51, a humble, contrite heart, O God, you will not spurn. A humble, contrite heart, O God, you will not spurn. Just want you to hear that a humble heart. And so often what we think is we have to shut ourselves down to be humble. As if we're hearing maybe a parent in our life tell us, be quiet, not now. That's what it means to be humble. Just shh, shh, get down. But see, a humble heart, we don't have to become humble. What we're invited to do is let the fig leaves of haughtiness, striving, Proving, judgment, defensiveness, rationalization, to let those fall in this moment. To recognize behind all of these proving, 
strong ways, you have a little heart that is so vulnerable and good. And I'm sorry that that heart got hurt. And I'm so sorry that that heart had been disappointed. And I'm so sorry that that heart wasn't seen and protected and fought for. But there is a Jesus Christ. And he loves that little heart of yours. And so the places where you think you have to put on the mask of knowledge, the mask of the religious one, the mask of the funny one, the mask of the defensive one, the mask of the I'm fine, I'm just the intellectual one, I don't have feelings. I, I just invite you now to say from the silence of your heart, Jesus, I surrender. And just gently let those fall so that little place of longing, that little place of vulnerability, that little place that wants to still be cherished and seen and celebrated, it is not selfish. It is not mature. It is holy. For Jesus says, unless you become like little children, you can't enter the kingdom. Children are full of needs. Children are full of desire. Children are wildly vulnerable and trusting. And that's still in you. It's never been lost because of sin. But I'm sure it's been hurt. And so a humble heart Jesus loves. And so I just invite you to say from your heart just a few times in your own, Jesus, I give you permission to see me and love me. Jesus, I give you permission to see me and love me. Jesus, I give you permission to see me and love me. And when he enters in, he makes new soil. He makes new wine. And what pours out from us is his love, his radiance, his kindness, his power. Because he only comes to fill up these small places with his new wine and his new fire. And so I invite you to join us in this song if you know it. If not, let the words wash over this little place.
spring. 